From Brown Cow Studios in Gallatin Gateway, Montana, this is News Nerds. I'm Ezra Graham. When my guest this week, Netta Talui Simnani's grandfather, walked across the desert to Tehran in search of work decades ago, he decided on a surname for his family, Talui of Sunrise and Semnani of Semnan. This is just one of the stories described in Netta Talui Semnani's new memoir, They Said They Wanted Revolution, a memoir of my parents. Her book chronicles the story of her parents, two young Iranian students who were swept up with the revolution of the 70s. And although Netta was very young at the time of the revolution, she pieces together the story of her father's arrest because of his activism as a leftist and continues her story from there. It's Thursday, April 21st, 2022, and this is News Nerds. Netta Tolui Semnani is an Emmy Award-winning journalist and writer. Her latest book, They Said They Wanted Revolution, a memoir of my parents, documents the story of the Iranian revolution, her parents' activism, and her rediscovery of her past. She's joining us now. Welcome. Hi, Ezra. Thanks for having me. So uh, you begin your book relating civil rights protests of 2020, which you were covering for Vice News, to protests in the Iranian revolution. How are you looking at the conflict in Ukraine and the protests from both Russians and Ukrainians? That's really interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I think the the thing to note is my parents, um, so it's a story of, yeah, as you said, young activists. And I think for a lot of us, um, we are the most vocal, the most um in some ways the most idealistic, but also the most like determined to live life the way we think we should be living it at a relatively young age. I don't know that it's always true. I think it's kind of um, a cliche to th- say that like when you're young, you're super idealistic because in some ways as you get older, you realize that things can change. Um, and maybe should change. And so you start pushing against it. So I do think that there's like that sweet spot in your 20s, maybe even your 30s, where you you have some life experience. What My parents were gaining life experience in their early 20s and into their 30s when they realized that maybe the changes that they wanted to create come with a cost. So you're asking about protest movements that are happening now. And what's really interesting, I think, in both cases, I mean, Ukraine, um, protests in Ukraine are, they're coming part and parcel with a conflict, with life under bombardment, life with one country, Russia, in this case, invading another, um, and a war that's been going on, at least in a part of the country for eight years. In Russia, I think the protest movement is fascinating. Um, because as you know, you know, obviously speech isn't protected in Russia the way it is in other parts of the world. Um, even though arguably speech all over the world is under, um, under attack. But what I think is so interesting is how the Russian protest movement is using the lack of words to actually convey a message. I'm sure you've seen like images of people flashing up blank pages. Um, Just the idea of dissent is enough of a protest. And going back to the Iranian student movement in the 1960s and 1970s, you know, a lot of what they were doing at that point was the idea 
was push not just protesting, but doing things that, you know, kind of tested the bounds of what protest meant. So I talk about in the book, it was really dangerous to have your face shown. So a lot of their protests were under masks. Um, and if you remember during the 2020 protests, there was also masking. Obviously in that case, it was because of a pandemic, but the, um, the parallels between protest movements you know, one movement, I guess what I'm trying to say is one movement builds on another and learns from another, even ones that feel kind of disparate, like the anti-Shah movement in the 1960s. I mean, you can argue that each, each movement that comes afterwards learns from the movement before. And that's certainly, I think, true in Russia and around the world. Yeah. Um, much of what this book is about, the, the main theme of the book is kind of because it's a memoir, you look back on what your parents were doing and how they were uh, young activists at the time uh, of your childhood. How did they meet and how were they brought into activism? Yeah, they met at, um, at college. They met at University of California at Berkeley in 1969. So if you know anything about the 60s and Berkeley, it's, you know, it's like, lots of protests and it was a really political time it was kind of the the peak of the anti-war movement um and they were both members of the iranian student association which was very active in northern california and actually all over the country there were chapters and within this organization which was just like an organization that you would have at school at any school within that organization there were these political factions and my parents happened to be part of the same political faction. And they were clandestine factions, which means they were secretive for lots of different reasons. Um, but they also happened to be very far left, um, which was very kind of, that was normal for Berkeley. Yeah, so that's how they met. And they kind of, as they were falling in love, they were also getting deeper into political activism as part of this, this group, um, specifically this one group, but then also kind of more broadly, they were going to anti-war rallies. They were organizing protests. They were traveling all over the country, kind of recruiting people into the movement. They kind of fell in love by trying to change the world. What was happening in Iran at the time of your parents' activism because because of the uh, policy there that was that was why they were getting into activism so in nineteen fifty three which is obviously years before my parents met, um, there was a coup which it was in fact america's first coup um, so the u s had gone into Iran and decided to basically remove the government one government and then really consolidate power underneath the Shah of Iran, which was the monarchy. And so fast forward however many years, um, when my parents met, they were very preoccupied with trying to get to remove the Shah from power for lots of reasons. But, you know, one of them was that the Shah was very closely tied to the West. A lot of Iran's major resource was oil, and a lot of the oil profits were leaving the country. There was great poverty in the country at the time. People were hungry. There was a lack of literacy. Like all of these things were kind of happening at the same time. And the Shah of Iran, the government, was getting a lot of money from the U.S. So it was around the time when countries all over the world, but 
especially like countries that had been colonized at one point were really pushing for their own voice and their own freedom. Kind of what my parents were pushing towards was for a government that was more representative of the people. Um, and under the Shah of Iran, by the time the 1970s came, you know, there wasn't, you weren't allowed to be a part of a political party that wasn't the Shah's political party, for example. So that was kind of the background. And then they, there was thousands of young Iranians that had been coming over for about a decade from Iran to the U.S. And they kind of landed in America right when, you know, the civil rights movement was happening. And like I said, the anti-war movement was happening. The women's rights a movement was happening. It was just this, this like perfect, and, and in, that's in the U.S. They were also going to Europe, where Europe was in the middle of their own crazy 1960s. So it was a really kind of, you know, one of the people I spoke to said, you landed and, and suddenly your mind exploded. You realized what you could do, um, which is, I'm sure, a really exciting feeling to have. You went back to Iran and uh, in your childhood. I'm not sure if you remember um, back then, but how did you adapt and what were your parents doing there? Yeah, um, I was born. So the Iranian revolution was in 1979 and I was born in October 1979. So my parents went back in January and February uh, 1979. So right, like right when the revolution was really kicking off, the Shah had just left and I was born that year. So I'm a true child of the revolution. I always talk about how now when we think about the Iranian revolution, we think that it was inevitable, that the Ayatollah Khomeini, the Islamic Republic was always going to happen. But in fact, at the time, it wasn't the case. My parents were leftist Marxists, Leninists. They were, they were leftists at the time, leftist activists. So they had a different point of view. They had a different kind of vision for what they thought the Iranian a government, a people's government of Iran should look like. But the person that had the most power, the people that had the most power were the Islamists, were the far-right religious um, fundamentalists. And so over time, over that year, over the next, you know, I would say year, maybe longer, that's who were able to consolidate and kind of hold power in Iran. So my parents did what they always do or what they had always done up until that point was they started to, to do political activism. They started to do demonstrations. They started to work against the government of the, the new republic, the new the Islamic Republic. So that was, you know, still when I was quite young. And then my mom decided to leave the movement. Um, she had always wanted to be an English teacher. And so she decided that maybe her time, she was in her early 30s, she had a kid at that point, and she, did, she was going to start a language school, which she did with her friend. Um, and my dad was one of the leaders of this group, the Union of Iranian Communists. And he stayed with the movement. Um, and then, you know, when I was quite young, there was a small faction of this Iranian, um, the Union of Iranian Communists, who had decided that they wanted to do a violent uprising, an insurgency, essentially. Um, and my father was very much against that. So he was essentially removed from his position, but he was still involved in the broader organization. 
But because of his position, he basically stayed underground, which means like he didn't go out. Sometimes he didn't, he wasn't able to leave the house because it was dangerous. So he basically stayed home and with me and my mom went out and taught classes until he was arrested when I was, you know, two and a half, a little, two and a half, almost three. Did you really understand what was happening at the time of your father's arrest and also uh, when you had to leave the country? Mm -hmm. I don't think I understood what was happening. I think, you know, my memories, I wasn't even three yet. So my memories kind of kick in, unfortunately, after we left Iran, which we did, um, we escaped my mother and I, and my mother was very pregnant with my little brother. Um, so my memories only kicked in, you know, honestly, my earliest memories, you know, probably from the escape, maybe a little before. What I do remember is, and you'll know this, I'm sure you will have felt this at some point. Our earliest memories are hard to put into words. You know, you can, sometimes you can feel them in your body in a way, or you can like, kind of you have an image of something or like the breeze on your face. There's almost, it's hard to describe. And when I was working on the book, what I realized was um, when I was doing research about why I couldn't remember things like with words, it's because we're essentially at that age pre-verbal, as in we don't have words to describe how we're feeling. So our memories are being stored in various parts of our bodies. So all I knew is my dad was gone. And all of a sudden we were doing this big escape over horseback on foot. You know, this route that we went on is still the route that's being used in Afghanistan today into the same town that we went to. So now when I watch the news or when I'm covering stories, I very much feel like if I see somebody that's young, there's a part of my body that almost reacts to it. Um, cause that's where we, when we're young, we store our memories, you know, in various parts of our body. I think. Uh, after you did more research for this book, uh, what did you find out about that time and what it was like for your family? So that section of the book took me a really long time to report and research and write out. And I did it. I was really lucky. Um, my mom had done a long interview about eight years eight or nine years after we got to the States, back to the States. Um, so I spent, you know, years writing it. Um, but what I learned, so the way I crafted it was I kind of figured out how the beats of the arrest went. In other words, um, how, you know, where my father was arrested. I couldn't quite figure it out completely, but somebody had gotten a book of, um, it was essentially all the documents that the Iranian government had found against my dad and had smuggled, had gotten it out of the country somehow and had given it to me. So I had, you know, a few hundred pages of evidence, documents, whatever the government had. And that was one thing. I had just tons of interviews. That was another thing. And then I just spent years. Um, I spent a ton of time on, for example, Google Maps. And then eventually I couldn't go back to Iran at the time that I was writing it, though I had gone back in my early 20s. But 
I was able to go back to Von Turkey, which was a city where we escaped into from Iran over the mountains into, into Von. And so I was able to kind of piece these moments together bit by bit. You know, you had asked me, what do you remember? I had kind of written that section of the book as that's really when your memories kind of kick in. And that's when things feel more, I don't know, vibrant or more, you can almost taste these moments differently. And so I slowed down how I wrote it. So they're like, the details popped, the sentences were shorter, those type of things. Um, can you read the a section from the, the end of the book for me? It, it kind of gives a chronicle of what you were thinking when you were a young child when you were eight, I, I believe. This was the first time I tried to write this book, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so my dad died when I was three. I'm very sad my dad died. He lived a good life. He was a good man. He fought for freedom in Iran. He was 38 years old when he died. He may not be with me, but I have his memory in my heart and I still love him as much as ever. When I look at his pictures, memories come back to me. Standing by the beach brought back memories of my mom and dad running across the shore with me. Although I know those days are gone, I still love him and will always remember him. So that was in the final part of the book where you, it's, it's kind of a chronicle of, of some passages that you wrote. Um, and another thing towards the end of the book that I found striking was the story of uh, your family's name to Luis and mm -hmm. Nani. Um, you write, when I say it, I'm telling the story of our ancestors. When my grandfather chose it, we began to be what we would become, a clan of wanderers and seekers, determined dreamers, moving through a too real world. Uh, so it mentioned your grandfather in that passage who made mm -hmm. this name um, while he was walking through the desert and uh, trying to uh, cross that, that barren landscape. Can you tell me the story of uh, what, what, of course you don't know exactly what happened because he mm -hmm. isn't uh, alive anymore, but, but you kind of have a theory of what was going through his mind and, and you write that in the book. Yeah. I'm, you know, I, I tried to be very careful about what parts I could prove and what parts obviously I can't, but um, I was lucky enough that I, my family from both sides kind of hail from the desert parts of Iran. Although my father's side, my grandfather who chose our name, he eventually when he was 13, so probably not that much older than you at this point, maybe around your age, um, he had to make it to Tehran, which was obviously the capital of Iran. And it's a big major city, like huge city. Um, what I heard was that he had to get there um, and that he, he walked part of the way. Um, and the land between Semnon and Tehran is various, but there is this desert section. And I got the chance to drive through some of the desert parts of Iran. And I, in fact, ended up, for various reasons to do with my work, having to stay out in the desert for about a month. I would go back and forth um, between the desert and Tehran when I was living in Iran. And so I felt very familiar with the desert um, in parts of the country. 
So that really informed this section because I spent a lot of time walking around, waking up in those moments early in the morning with the desert. Um, early in the morning in the desert feels very, you know, different, obviously, than later in the day. There's that moment where it's cool and um, there's, there's this kind of shimmeringness. Um, and I just thought, what it would be like to be 13 and for the first time to be out on your own and how scary that must have felt, but maybe exciting in some ways. Um, and he really built this beautiful and successful life for himself. But, you know, in that moment when he had to kind of pave his way, I just thought it would have been um, so scary so scary, but also probably really exciting. I mean, in the U.S., we talk about go west, young man. We have these stories about young men just going west into the frontier, into the prairies, into the plains, into to California. Um, and there's this optimism of moving western, westerly, um, which is what my grandfather was doing. So I think all of that informed that my imagining that moment, like knowing the desert, having a sense of my grandfather from growing up, having a sense of um, a real strong memory of what it felt like to be on the cusp, you know, on the cusp of being a teenager, on the cusp of having your life being decided for you. All of those things, I think, inform that passage. What has the journey of writing this book and researching your family's lives meant to you? It has been a real privilege. I think, I don't know how it is for a lot of people, but I think for me anyway, and maybe this because I lost my dad young, um, I had so many questions about my family and, and also not just that I lost dad young, but we left Iran and for a long time couldn't go back. Um, and so I, or it was dangerous for us to go back. And, um, and so for a long time, there was this question mark in my head about why did all this happen? Where was this country that we, that my family had or loved so much? What was it? Um, what kind of pull did it have? And so I was able to, it took me a long time to write this book, and I was able to, in those times, really, like, hang out with my parents as young people, and also hang out with them as my parents, you know. Um, I lost my mom when I was 30, so I, I, in some ways, lost both of them quite young, and um, and I really liked both of them. So it was a really cool thing to be able to hang out with them, and my grandparents were really cool people, too. So it was, um, I got to indulge my curiosity and also tell a story that, you know, doesn't get told very often. You don't often hear about that kind of, often like the refugee story isn't told from refugees and often a child story isn't told by the child. And I got to do both of those things. Well, thank you so much for for talking to me and and talking about your your book which is great and i would encourage listeners to go and buy a copy oh thank you so much ezra i really really enjoyed this and really appreciate you asking me to come on 
Nanda Tului Simnani is an Emmy Award-winning journalist and writer. She wrote a memoir called They Said They Wanted Revolution, a memoir of my parents. That's it for this week's episode of News Nerds. I was your host, Ezra Graham. You can find us on the web at newsnerdspodcast.com. There you can listen to past episodes of News Nerds, Cow Pies, and other extras. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Another option is to listen to us every other week at 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time on KGVM 95.9 FM, community radio for the Gallatin Valley. If you're not in the Gallatin Valley, you can go to their website, kgvm.org, to listen. Please support us through our Patreon and PayPal accounts. That's how we support this show, through donations from you. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.